Hello, podcast community. We are excited to be talking to Janine Flores on this episode of Pregnancy Health Podcast. So Janine has um, a lot of experience um, in the maternity housing world, but specifically with women who are exploring adoption. And that comes both from her own story as well as uh, many years in the housing world. So Janine, can you just tell us a little about your own journey and your own work? Sure. I am a preacher's kid that got pregnant. There apparently are a lot of them. The more I talk, the more I'm meeting them. We're going to start our own little club. But it didn't go well. And my parents asked me to leave town and it was my mistake, not theirs. So I didn't want to drag them through the embarrassment. They were born in another culture in 1929 and 30. So I just didn't have anywhere to go. And that was my initial impetus for starting a maternity home. I ended up working through a workbook actually of Ann Pearson's basic decision-making with a pregnancy resource counselor over several months and ended up choosing adoption. Um, I'd graduated college. I had the degrees to make money and do what I needed to do. I just, I just wanted to give my child more than a single mom life. I wanted her to have a dad. There are some awesome single moms. I'm not, I'm not slacking that, but I wanted, I wanted more and I still had stuff I wanted to do. So, uh, went back after the child was placed and her parents named her Sarah. So I started Sarah's house in Southern California, met a good looking Texan, got married. He's still good looking. He's just older now. And a high school couple came to us and said, we have college scholarships and a senior year in front of us. Will you adopt our child? Never saw that coming. I thought that was amazing. So Travis is our oldest and that's how you get pregnant. You adopt. And so then we had Matthew and they both are new dads. So the journey just keeps unfolding. Travis said to me recently, mom, we really want to adopt as part of our family growth, which is really exciting to me. So it continues and it's exciting to be a part of and watch unfold. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful witness. And I know there's a lot more to that story that, um, that's, that is beautiful and good. So thank you for giving us a glimpse of it. Um, sure. We want to talk a bit to to the pregnancy help world about adoption. So what we find is that people are generally very supportive of adoption, right? They they know adoption is yeah. a wonderful, wonderful thing. And yet when it's time to have the conversation or to bring it up or to introduce the topic, um, there is maybe fear or uncomfortable, that awkward, um, how do yeah. I have this conversation? So I don't know, what would you say to people that know adoption is a beautiful, wonderful, heroic thing, and yet still feel afraid to bring it up with, with women? Well, it's interesting. I recently did a training at a pregnancy resource center here in Austin, and it was, it was preempted by one of their directors coming to me and saying, we really would like to see more adoptions happening. And I said, well, show me how you present it. So I went through a tour with them and the counselor that was on that day, I said, okay, pretend I'm a client. How do you present it? And she handed me a brochure and I said, okay, then what? And she said, well, no, that's it. And I jokingly tongue in cheek said, well, gosh, I I don't know why you don't have huge numbers here in adoption. Um, She didn't get it, but the director did. So my point was, we've got to, do you bring it up? Do you, she goes, well, it just, no. So then we decided to do a training with all of their volunteer counselors. 
And I asked, I pulled them first, why, why don't you bring it up? What stops you from bringing it up, et cetera. And it really across the board was, we feel awkward. Or when we bring it up, the girls say, are you saying I wouldn't be a good mom? Um, so we addressed those issues with them and looked at what some of the answers to those would be that's blocking them from presenting it. We also created a um, small video, like a three-minute generic clip of just saying, hey, we're, this center wants you to look at both parenting and a plan of adoption so you make an educated decision and reach out to someone here about it so we can talk about it. So that if they didn't feel comfortable presenting it, somebody else could in that little clip. So that's how we address that one. And I'm really trying to get to um, set up trainings with the other PRCs to help present it in a more positive light and with less fear. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. When it is time to maybe bring it up to the conversation, what, what's your advice on how to introduce the topic? Is there a certain point in, in the discussion or what's what when you think about, OK, I need to bring it up. What, what does that look like? We have to do the same in a maternity home setting, you know, and of course we don't do it on the first day. Okay, so are you going to pair in her place? We don't do that. Um, we want the girl to settle in and feel comfortable and establish a relationship with her. And that's hard. To, that's much harder to do in a PRC setting when it, you are limited on the time. In a maternity home setting, we bring it up even at the interview saying, we're going to have you look at both. We don't care which one you choose, but we want you to make an educated decision. So in the PRC setting, I think that's one, I think that's a key word in presenting it is using the word, the phrase, making an educated decision. Because no girl is going to say to you, no, I want to make a stupid decision, please. They're not, they want to feel educated. They want to feel like they have all the facts on the table. And this is part of that process of looking at all of your options. So if we're really looking at all of her options, that absolutely is one of them, but it's the least talked about because we're, we tend to focus on just don't abort, which is critical, but if we leave adoption out in the in the backyard, then we haven't covered all the options. So from a PRC level, I certainly would get in the conversation. How are you? What's been going on? How do we get to this point? Because she needs someone to talk to. And, and I admire so much the PRC workers. I often say to ours, man, I couldn't do what you do. And they always say, man, I couldn't do what you do. So obviously we're called to what we do. But in their conversations, once you've got a rapport going with the girl and you've listened to her story and you listen to, you know, where she's at, I think one of the key questions to lead into it would be, where do you see yourself in five years? What do you want to be doing in a perfect world where everything's possible? And then you hear if she has any goals or focus. I want to be, or one of my last girls, I want to be running a pet shelter. Okay, what would that take? We have to start with a GED. We have to get in a college plan. And then you look back. And a lot of this is in that this book, Basic Decision Making. That's what I'm gleaning it from. How do we make that happen? How, do you see a child in that picture with you? And they lean right there, which direction. If there's any, if they ever even mention adoption at some point in their conversation with you, you have a really strong capability of saying, okay, let's look at that. Because for them to bring it up themselves without you bringing it up means they've thought about it already and it's an option on the table and it's okay to bring that up without worrying about insulting her. If they don't bring it up and you bring it up, it's, it's always amazing to me. A girl will go, huh, I hadn't thought of that. And in my head, I'm going, what do you mean? How, how did that slip past you? But people aren't talking about it. And some of these girls are so overloaded with couch surfing and trying to stay alive and trying to get off the street. It really hasn't entered their mind. So that's our opportunity to say, let's just look at this. It's your call. I, it doesn't impact me what you do, but let's look at every choice we have for your child. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, I know you bring the experience both as a birth mom and an adoptive mom, and, you know, I'm sure that adds so much to to the conversation. Can people who haven't been through the direct experience still be effective at the conversation, or what's your take on? We pull in other people. For instance, someone who's been adopted comes and sits with the girls individually without me there, so they don't feel like someone's hovering, and can ask that person anything they want. Tell me about being adopted. Now, obviously, you want to get someone who's had a positive adoption experience. I love it when Travis, our oldest, is the one that sits down with the girls. It's easy to set that appointment up for me because he's super cute. (laughs) The girl's like, yeah, I'm going to cope with him. Um, So having somebody else come in so it's not just, oh, you just want me to do this. So it looks like there's other community members involved. And that's also a good way to draw in other church members. volunteers and get other churches engaged is to do you have someone that has a positive adoption experience I'm always as a PR girl I'm always looking for ways to involve other churches and get new churches involved so one of the dynamics you've mentioned already but is that that sense of um, the person bringing it up feeling like they're somehow insulting the mom right that they're saying somehow yeah. implicitly communicating yeah we don't think you can parent or we're, you're not we don't think you're going to be a good mom or that somehow it's it's an insult can you just speak directly to that that dynamic? I think if you, again, use the word educated um, or some insinuate something more, more along the lines of, well, I know you want to look at every option you have for your child. So you're indicating there that she's going to be a good mom and look at everything for her child. And, and I, what woman is going to go, well, no, no, I don't. Um, I don't want to be educated. I don't want to look at all the options. And, and with the phrase that you can do provide for your child, because every mother is, is that provider and she wants to be seen as the best mom she can be. So if you present it in the context with that ahead of the question of adoption, it, it makes the conversation easier in saying we're doing this to look at what's best for this child in every angle. We're going we're gonna to cover every inch we can to make sure that we've done everything we can for this child and that... Um, you as a mother is going to look at every opportunity you could provide this child. When you put it that way, they're not going to say, no, no, I don't want to provide every opportunity. No, I want to be a loser mom. You know, they want to look good to you as well because they already feel self-conscious coming into a PRC. I know I only say that because I was that girl and I felt stupid that I was pregnant. And I was, I thought they must think I'm just blah, blah, blah. So if you, if you worded ahead of the question of adoption with let's, make the best plan we can. Let's look at every area of this. I just think that preempts being able to say, okay, so one of them is parenting. Okay, how, what will that look like? Okay, one of them is adoption. What would that look like? And then you immediately bring in a positive story from your center or someone you've worked with. So they see you, one, you have experience in it. Two, it was a positive thing because most people have that lifetime movie thought in their head was where you sign the baby disappears off a cliff somewhere and you never see him again. So you get a chance to explain, no, Susie is one of our clients who actually went through the decision-making process and decided to choose adoption. By saying that, you show that you're not just the vulture looking for adoption. I hate, I hate that. That is a perception in the medical community often. When I go into a girl's room after she's, um, had her baby and after she's placed um, for adoption, I stay with her. It's interesting. One time a nurse came in the next day 
because the girl was staying for surgery. And she said, what are you still doing here? Because she knew I was from the, from an agency. She didn't know everything else we do, but she just knew I was the adoption agent. And I said, you know what? We love those babies, but our, our main concern and priority is these moms are the moms. We just love them and want to help them. And she looked at me like, she was, who are you with? Because she'd never heard anyone say that. So it's a chance to really to witness to a lot more than of the medical community to, to get it, to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Yeah, great example. So I know you mentioned kind of using the loving and caring materials that that, that has been a part of your, so kind of maybe the formal curriculum piece of that. How much of the conversation do you think happens in those kind of like formal settings versus the casual conversation? Or For me, we use and stuff all the way and it triggers rabbit trails and other conversations. She'll get questions that come out of that, like if we're driving somewhere when we're alone, because she doesn't usually want to ask in front of other girls. And that's from the maternity home perspective. Um, in a PRC setup, if you probably have more privacy and contact on the phone, so you'll be able to answer more questions that way. At the maternity home level, it comes in the private moments when we're back together alone and she's processed something else we've talked about earlier or... We also have birth mom support groups. So the girls who are still pregnant can ask the girls who've gone through an adoption with our agency more questions when I'm not listening. And that helps a lot. That helps a whole lot. When women kind of enter the conversation, I think we have this idea that they have to make a decision and then stick to it right, you know, right away or that type of thing. But, but it really is a process over time. And I guess, could you talk just a little bit about the the moment where the, the topic of adoption gets brought up to, hey, I'm going through with an adoption process. Like, what what is that journey? Is that a journey of weeks, months? It's like, what does that journey kind of look like in the women that you work with? Well, it really depends on how far along she is when she comes to you, obviously. Um, and in a perfect situation, she comes to us two or three months pregnant, and we start meeting weekly with her doing the next chapter of basic decision-making uh, the workbook with from Anne, and we just go through each one. It doesn't immediately start out with let's make a plan of adoption. It starts out with who do you want to be? How do we help you achieve those goals? And what do those goals broken down look like? What's the next little step? And that leads into later in the book, <clears throat> or sometimes just in conversation. Okay, so let's look at the pros and cons of both. And the girl makes a list with you. Um, Ironically, it's also a state required list here in Texas, but it's a good, it's a great tool. The pros and cons of making an adoption plan, the pros and cons of parenting. And I always tell her, I'm going to say the opposite of what you say to me. If you tell me you're parenting, I'm going to say, why aren't you making a plan of adoption? If you tell me you're placing, I'm going to say, why aren't you parenting? So she sees that I'm her fan in either corner and that I'm not going somewhere if she chooses to parent, we support both girls. Um, 70% of our maternity home choose to parent. So we support them, we give them the resources and they can see that in our history and with the girls around us. Um, so they don't feel like we're just out for the uh, almighty dollar in adoption. I'm still buying my underwear at Walmart, so I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of <laughs> dollars involved when it comes to our ministry and adoption. So. I like showing them that I'm going to support them either way. And we talk and we get excited about a baby shower or um, where we live, who's going to help you. Maybe she has a fantastic support system and the guy is present and actually working. You know, there's, there's <laughs> miracles do happen, Mary. So 
that's always that's always exciting. But if she chooses the adoption plan and she's leaning towards it, you feel it. And but you don't push her on it. You let her come to that herself. And a lot of times, probably around month five, I say, okay, it sounds to me like you're talking about adoption. What would that look like to you? What kind of couple would you talk about? And then she describes her perfect family. And you try to put in your head who that is through the, the couples that you're working with. It's interesting to me how God shows up in this stuff. Because, for instance, I had one family send me their book. And they're very country. And on the front cover was their farm with some chickens. And two weeks later, I'm sitting with this mom who's chosen an adoption. And she goes, I just really want a family that has chickens. And I'm like, what? What did you say? And then I'm like, okay, God, did you not think I made the connection? Or were you just worried I should pick the wrong family? So he does show up when you ask him to. Let me know. I'd like to hear more stories about chickens in case it's just me. But he's so evident in the process. And showing her the families and letting her decide who's her best fit. Um, it's very emotional. And I can tell when she's had enough for that day. But by the time they made it, you know, they're really leaning towards adoption. About month six, I present them with the different families. And I actually do it backwards, meaning I hold the books, but they're backwards to her. So she doesn't see what the couple looks like on the front of the page. So she's not picking someone that's just cute. Oh, they're cute. I'll, I want them. I tell that couple's story without saying where they live or what their last name is. That's how we do it. And I go through each one. And she'll know by the time I'm done with all 15 couples, she'll have a couple of interests. And so I'll hand her those books. She knows if she wants a child to have, or the couple to have children or not, or maybe she hates dogs, or maybe she wants chickens. Um, it, it flows naturally when God's in the middle of it and that's the only thing I have I have to say about our success is that God is in the middle of it. He just shows up. And I'm so grateful because I honestly, most of the time, feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. I just have to follow his lead. I do. I just follow his lead, and he's, he's pretty clear. Uh, that's great. I heard a few years ago that one of the maternity home directors said to me, one of the most important things we do is help the women learn to advocate for their decision. So advocate to the other moms in the house, advocate to their family, you know, and, and really kind of own that decision and be able to talk about it and um, with clarity and confidence. I don't know if you could speak about kind of that dynamic of having to be able to talk about the decision, um, especially the decision for adoption, um, and, and be able to talk about it with those that might not share the same perspective. One of the things we do, I know this is going to come as a huge shock to you, but sometimes I'm sarcastic. So one of the things we do is role play. And I tell them some of the really stupid, hurtful things people are going to say to them. And we talk about this probably in month seven-ish. Um, and I be the stupid person. It's not It's not a big stretch. <laughs> and she, she shows me how she would answer that. And we, we role play how to handle some of those situations. For instance, someone will say to me, why didn't you want your baby? Now I could blow up, um, which some of our girls would love to do. And in Texas, we do have concealed carry. So you really need to be careful who you're saying that to. (laughs) However, my response is usually taking their hand and going, oh, are you one of the uneducated ones? Let me help you. I loved my child so much. I wanted more for her than I could give her. That usually takes care of that conversation. Um, but it was interesting as a as a adoptive mom, too, 
because my children didn't match. Lord forbid. They were, one was black, Korean, and white, and one was blonde, blue-eyed, and um, talked a lot. He got that from his father. And if people would say all the time, hey, um, and that's all they'd say, uh, and they'd look at the kids. And I knew exactly what they were thinking, but two things. If it's someone I loved or someone I had just met or in a professional setting, I was very professional and said, you know what? We got the chance to adopt. And um, that's Travis. Oh, okay. But sometimes they were just rude people. And you may need to edit this out. But for instance, the checker at the grocery store when Travis was an infant, he's tiny. And she says, is his father, uh, you know, she wanted to say black. Is his father uh, tall? (laughs) <laughs> he's like six weeks old there aren't very many tall six weeks and I said oh I don't remember and walked out with a store it was just none of her business you know um that's my approach I use humor to deflect but I think what I teach the girls is what's your comfort level and if she's not a sarcastic quick-witted response don't use one because it won't work um I just teach them other things you know what I made a plan of adoption because I love my baby so much now, whether they get that or not is not her is not her responsibility, but her ability to say, I love my child and I made a positive decision is my job to teach her to be able to say that. So she doesn't ever feel uh, looked down upon or judged. Yeah. So we do. We teach them some of those, some of those comebacks or some of those answers and we role play it because they're, they're going to experience them, unfortunately. Yeah. But we also surround her in a positive adoption community with other birth moms um, unfortunately, it's all been on Zoom this year, but actually that's probably included more people. Um, and she, if she's having a low day for us. Um, she can get a picture texted. She can, um, they can email me a letter or an update. They see the child once a year. So it's really positive. Um, it's a positive experience for our girls. So would you say that it's, um, would women are kind of the motivation is um, both that mama bear I want to provide for this for my child. And, you know, you mentioned that as one kind of motivating factor or maybe that, hey, this is what I have. This is what I'm dreaming of my future. And I know that parenting is going to make that challenging. Or what are some of the other kind of common stories that you hear that are driving the adoption decision? Maybe in college and want to finish that, like our Baylor student. She has a career in mind and she wants to, she's three years in and wants to see that to completion. Um, Maybe she's homeless and knows that CPS will intervene and take her child if she isn't um, stable or have a housing place or have a place, you know, to live that isn't just a shelter. I mean, they do let them come home to us, but they know that we're going to work on helping them find um, safe housing, et cetera. Um, another reason is maybe they've broken up and then they found out they're pregnant. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. And they don't want that guy in their life for the rest of their life. We actually just helped a married couple place a baby. It was heartbreaking and they were so precious, but they had one child. They're incredibly poor. Um, when asked, Hey, we're going to take you out to dinner anywhere you want. We just wanted to spoil them for a minute where, you know, the decision had already been made. This was not a bribe. Um, where do you want to go eat? Is Whataburger too much? You know, and you realize the level of their destitution and you're just broken. But the baby was diagnosed with in utero of having brittle bone syndrome. And they knew they couldn't afford to take care of that child. So they placed that child. And that's another, that doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And it's heartbreaking. 
trying to think what else. Maybe she's too young and she knows it. Maybe she's 15. Um, 13 is the youngest I've dealt with. It's interesting to me that the higher the statistic is, the higher the IQ, the more likely she is to place. And that correlates with her being able to foresee how this is going to play out and what she does or doesn't have for that child. The more I talk with them, the more I talk about the parenting. I want her to, to see that if she chooses parenting and not adoption, I'm good. Let's go forward in that direction. So I talk about parenting a lot. So because even when I knew I was placing for adoption, I was probably in my eighth or ninth month, ninth probably, and I'm driving to work and I, ugh, I never know where the lump in my throat is going to come. I remember I remember trying to t pretend there was a car seat next to me. So I wanted to pretend I was parenting and I was talking to the baby. And I was in the car by myself, obviously, or I would have been committed. But I would talk to the baby on the way to work and pretend I got to parent, even though I knew that I was choosing adoption. So giving them in every thoughtful way you can to include them in the parenting idea of the process helps. Like, I say to them, you know what, if you're having a really cruddy day and you're missing the baby and it's six months from now and you just wish you could go out and buy her a little dress, go out, buy her a little dress and I will get it to her and you'll get pictures of her in the dress. So she feels some connection to the child and she doesn't feel like she's just been dropped off. With my adoption with Sarah, the attorney got the signature and wouldn't return another phone call. Um, I swore I was never, ever, ever doing adoptions. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, our agency opened in 2012 because it didn't make sense to do all that work and have somebody else swoop in at the last minute because we wanted to be the consistent person with that woman. And the oldest girl that I worked with, uh, she moved actually from California to Texas to Dallas. So now she's within arm's reach and her child is in his 30s. She was 17 at the time. And we're still in contact. We're still talking. Those relationships are, to me, super critical. And I keep track of the child's birthdays and I keep track of the mother's contact so that on that child's birthday, whether the child is two or 22, I shoot the mom a text and said, thinking about you today. Um, I just want them to, to know they're supported forever. That's just how I work. Yeah, uh, you're beautifully relational. I, I, I definitely see that in you. I know the answer is probably both, but just trying to think about like the head dimensions of like the, you know, the rational, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to learn about adoption. You know, I'm going to use the rational decision versus the heart element of like the, I guess, how do you, do you appeal to both? Like what's the journey of the head and the heart and how those two interplay as women are facing an adoption decision? Getting it in writing for her is important where she's writing herself. The pros and cons list I make a copy of it, but I give it back to her so she can remind herself on a difficult day, why am I doing this? On a day she's excited and she's met the family and she's fallen in love with them, um, they basically memorize the couple's books and, and feel like they already know them before they ever meet them. And I have her write a letter to herself on that day. And I think this might be an Anne's book. Why am I doing this? What am I offering my child? What am I going to be pursuing in the meantime? What kind of relationship do we get to have? And she takes that letter with her to the hospital where she reads it on a really tough day, even after placement. That first week of placement, we don't go anywhere. Man, I'm on her like crazy cakes. Um, just surrounding her with reminders of why she's doing this. Some, not just from me, because that can be irritating, believe it or not. But reminders from herself to herself. If she's a strong believer, giving her scriptures that really minister to her and, and 
you know, I remember going through the grief and I had one verse out of Psalm 34 that I just clung to and I'd say it over and over and over to myself. Um, it just, I mean, she's not a believer. Sometimes it's a much harder row because she probably doesn't have believers as parents to support her. Once in a while, we'll get a girl with a really strong, once in a very great while, really strong set of parents who agree but are hurting with her. It's all—it's interesting. Sometimes I believe that the birth grandmothers grieve harder than the birth mother at some points because they know what she's letting go of. We also have a grandmother support group, believe it or not, because they hurt and we want them ministered. We have a birth father support group. It's not big, but it's got three of the best birth fathers I've ever met if you don't count foul language. And I charge them for that. So I make money off of that anyway. So <laughs> we just su surround them with support. We surround them with, who do you need to talk to today? I don't know who her connection is going to be with. Maybe it will be me. Awesome. But I'd love it even more if it was another strong birth mother, because that way I'm not juggling 42 people hurting today. And those having those constant meetings is important too. When we do the placement day, it just seemed like such a huge day that I wrote little dedication vows for that day. Instead of just like, oh, hey, here's my kid. We wrote little, I wrote little dedication stuff for do you promise to pray for? And it's for everyone in attendance. And we record it and we video and we whatever. So that she has that to, to remember by. Um, anything we can do to give her a positive something to hang on to on the days that just hurt like crazy. Can you talk a little bit, you've kind of entered the world of maternity housing as well as adoption, maybe what the relationship is and any encouragement for our maternity homes that are listening as they're thinking and work about working with adoptive moms? Yeah, it's difficult to have girls that are excited about parenting next to a girl who's choosing adoption. It's very difficult. Like I know some homes specifically have established themselves as adoption only to prevent that hurt being added on to everything else. One of the things we have done is the girls who are going to be parenting are not collecting little tiny baby things in their room or baby beds in their room. If they're given something, it's put up in storage for them out of sight. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that I honestly had this happen. A little uh, One of the girls was saying, I'm going to place, I'm going to place, I'm going to place. One day she found a little pink dress and she goes, you know what? I'm just going to parent. This is too cute because that makes sense. So we get those visuals out of the way. We don't, you don't walk into our maternity home at Sarah's house and say, oh, we're in baby land. We just don't. When a girl has her baby, we have that stuff out. She's, you know, but she keeps her room neat and she's in her, she's actually in her own room by herself. So having those visuals constantly around is not, it's not a uh, positive thing in trying to make it neutral and making women have an honest look at it. If your maternity home looks like baby land, you're really urging, um, sorry if this offends anyone, but it really pushes towards parenting. And depending on where you stand with adoption, I mean, that may be how you want to do it. Absolutely. But if you want a neutral zone, it needs to be neutral. Um, you don't tell your child he can never play sports and then watch football all weekend long. So trying to make it the most neutral territory and trying to teach other girls is part of it too because you're you're educating the next generation on adoption of how to respect the, the birth mother that's chosen a plan of adoption how to when to speak about whatever and when not you're also teaching the birth mother how to handle that after you have this child no matter what restaurant you go into there will be a newborn 
I don't know how that works, but it just seems like babies come out of the woodwork. It's like when you break up, your song is on the radio 14 times a day. It just is in their face. So teaching them ahead of time, how do we deal with that? And trying to avoid areas um, where there's a ton of babies initially for her or even right before placement. It's just trying to make it as environment friendly for her decision as you can. I'm not catering to her, but I'm trying to minister to her heart because she's <clears throat> going to be around babies if she's out of maternity home. And she knows that. So you're just trying to protect her as best you can. Yeah. Uh, Janine, we're right at time. Um, just thank you for your heart here Absolutely. and just for the ways that you can speak with such um, just depth of experience and and um, just love for the women. It's really touching to hear. Any closing thoughts before we sign off? Not at all. Um, I will be sarcastic. I'll be here all week. Um, if anyone <laughs> wants to contact me and get more information or go more in depth on any of those, have at it. Um, I would love to talk to you more or maybe come do a training at your facility, which doesn't cost. It's just me consulting saying, hey, how do we teach adoption in a positive light with the word attached? Um, I can't do it without the Lord. I just cannot. Um, it'd be worthless. So I'd love to talk to anyone that's interested in that. Um, it's, it's just, it's just a beautiful part of God's plan for some of our moms. And he talks about adoption in scripture. So we can't say it's a bad thing because he even says we're adopted in Jesus Christ. So um, we use that example a lot. And I'm so grateful that, that we all are because without it, this work would be useless to me. Beautiful ending. So thank you for that. Thank you for taking the time to do this podcast. Thank you to all of our listeners for kind of joining us in this adoption discussion. Uh, and please don't hesitate to reach out to Janine um, if you'd like to talk more about it. Um, or also know that the loving and caring materials are available on the heartbeatservices.org site. Um, in the heart cart, they have a whole tab that is loving and caring. So some of those materials that Janine referenced are available there. So thank you so much, Janine. Uh, and we'll sign off with that. So blessings. <laughs>